You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. It's me. Hi. I know that. And it's me. Hello, I'm Sam Sanders, and you are listening to Intuit from Vulture. Taylor's version. Welcome to a new series I'm calling Midnight's Mayhem with me. Anywho, Taylor Swift is out with a new album this week. I'm sure you've heard. I'm going to be using this technologically advanced device to help me. It's called Midnight's. It's her 10th. And most likely it will be a hit, like all the other ones. As we enter this Taylor weekend, I have been thinking a lot about Taylor. And I'm realizing I'm not quite sure how I feel about her. I like a lot of the songs. Blank Space, first among them. I pay attention to what she's up to. Okay, so this is a video reenactment of my Tumblr post about fall. I even watched her documentary. Just gonna go have fun. No one out there that I know of in the audience actively hates me. But of all the big pop stars of her era, I feel like I know her the least. And if you ask me to sum up in like 20 seconds or less the meaning of Taylor Swift, you know? yes. I couldn't do it. Yes, I agree. And But but then, well, okay, we're talking before we're yes. actually talking. Yes, okay, we're going to save it. Yeah, we're going to get there. But I'd like to try. So on the eve of Midnight's, going to chat now with truly one of my favorite music writers of all time. And so powers. Much for having me. I'm a critic and correspondent for NPR Music, and also written a bunch of books. Uh, do done a lot of things, and followed Taylor Swift for many, many years. Anne has been thinking a lot about Taylor Swift since as long as there has been Taylor Swift music on the radio. To make a massive hit that feels very personal, and I'm ready for that. I, I would love to hear what that would be. Okay. Yeah. So knowing that we can't have a full conversation about the new album, I do want to ask you something I've been thinking about a lot as the new Taylor Swift album comes to us. Mm -hmm. I think a lot about pop stars and what they mean, what their Mm -hmm. philosophy of self is. And I want to talk about the meaning of Taylor Swift as a pop star and as a woman in pop some 15 plus years into her career. And I want to do this because I feel like when you really think about what Taylor Swift means, she's harder to nail down than it might seem. Mm. It feels like a lot of the conventional wisdom about her isn't really true. 
You know, mm-hmm. this idea that she's performing damsel in distress and yes. white vestal virgin. Well, not at all anymore, right? No. right? This idea that she writes songs just for teenage girls. Well, not anymore. Right. This idea that she's a prude, but also she's had a bunch of s- famous boyfriends <laughs> that she's talked about. Yes. This idea that she represents women's empowerment. Yet she's been in some petty feuds with other women. And I still am not sure how to feel about her whole squad era. Mm. I just feel conflicted and confused by her public persona Mm. more than I do about other pop stars. I can see that. Why? Why? (laughs) I don't know why she confuses me so much, but she confuses me. Well, I think one one thing that always is important to remember about Taylor is where she started within country Mm. music and Mm -hmm. that sort of consummate craftsperson that she was even when she was a teenager. If disclosure is one of her metiers, you know, if disclosure is one of her her main ways of operating in the world, just remember that she comes from a place where disclosure is always crafted so minutely that you can read it as a universal no matter how personal it gets. That's what country music is. Country music is people writing songs that are deeply personal in rooms with other people, like in an office. You go into an office and you're yeah. going to write a song about your brother's alcoholism or your, you know, your, your husband's bad experience in Iraq or something, but you're doing it in an office as a professional. And you're going to workshop it. Right. Yeah. And you're going to workshop <laughs> it and you're going to look for the perfect rhyme. So I think these are sort of like two rival impulses within Taylor Swift. There's there's the part of her that's always going to be that um, high achiever, that high school high achiever, you know, that wants who wants to craft the perfect song and, and is looking, you know, toward a lineage that perhaps she's abandoned officially, but that is in her blood of country music. You're on the phone with your girlfriend. She's upset. She's going off about something that you said because she doesn't And then there is the other part of Taylor who who looks to genius elders like a Joni Mitchell and says, I need, that's another part of her high achiever. Like, I want to learn how to truly disclose. I sit and watch you reading with your head low. I hear a constant pulling back in Taylor. Like, I hear a constant, oh, how much can I say? How can I say this musically in a way that still makes it relevant to a 14-year-old and her mom and her aunt, you know, and the radio programmer, I still want to play my music, but where it feels personal. So she's got that superego. She is the strongest superego of any artist, you know, any musical artist we've ever had. Well. I just think her music is so much about kind of order in storytelling and creating the perfect frameworks and finding the perfect characters. Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. Her salt box house on the coast took a mind off St. Louis. And so she's got that, that intellectual side, just like constantly challenging her emotional side you know and and so for me it's she doesn't seem that elusive she just seems well managed internally and uh and I think that's frustrating for us though you know yeah because like for me it's like on the one hand 
she is an incredibly confessional singer-songwriter right. who wants to share so much of herself in a way that feels raw. Yes, absolutely. But she's also a very calculating pop star. Co- totally, at the same and, time. Yeah. yeah, and usually those two things don't go together. Right. And yet, and yet, you know? <laughs> and so I think it's hard for me to wrap my head around that, well, you know? To make a probably completely inappropriate leap and people are going to jump like on me big time for this. It's kind of like Bob Dylan. <laughs> oh my goodness. In comes Romeo, he's moaning. You belong to me, I believe. Expound, tell me everything. Well, I just think, you know, Bob Dylan's always talked about himself as like a channel for the culture and stuff. But there's a side of him in his songwriting that's very much like about kind of being a ruffian, being an outsider. Mm -hmm. But then no one from the beginning to this point in his career, no one in music has been as aware of his own legacy, as his own reputation, of his own place in history. And I see that ambition in Taylor Swift. And I think maybe that's what's confusing too, because Okay, we get it with the Bob Dylan in our patriarchal society that favors white men. You know, okay, Bob Dylan wants to be great. He wants to be historical. How can a, you know, a young woman who looks like a supermodel, how can she dare to think she could be historical? And yet yeah. she does. And yet she does. Well, and she does, She she's very much aware of like where and how she wants to fit into history. Yes, you know, exactly. it seems her entire career, she's been quietly chasing Joni Mitchell uh, <laughs> because she knows yes, this yes, is a clear... Yes lineage that she wants to establish and it's funny i i feel like she yes. worries about legacy mm-hmm. a lot more than someone like beyonce or adele does which is interesting to me well i think beyonce thinks about legacy in terms of her family when i look in your eyes i feel alive. like literally and then also sort of business-wise. Like, she's yeah. built, she's built an empire. We call it an empire. We could also call it a family. It's like, literally, what am I passing on to the next generation? And also, culturally and politically, what am I passing on to the next generation? I think Taylor's goals are much more individualistic, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I want to yeah. be remembered as a great artist, capital A. Yes. And, and heck, we could have a whole other conversation about if it's even possible to inhabit the role of the great artist in our moment of virality when everything is so fragmented. I'm mm-hmm. not sure, but she's gone pretty far in making the case for herself. I yeah, think. yeah. You know, I mentioned earlier a lot of the conventional wisdom of Taylor that I find, if not true, at least confusing. Mm-hmm. What is a piece of well-accepted conventional wisdom about Taylor Swift that you think isn't really true at all? Hmm. That she's petty. I don't think she's petty. I think she is embedding kind of serious messages in these very individualistic, very, very seemingly confessional tales. I, I just have been like biting my tongue here, wanting to talk about the scarf, the the immortal scarf. Left in my scarf there at your sister. No, the, the famous oh, Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal scarf. In your drawer, even now. And I can't remember who wrote about that song is like about her losing her virginity. Oh, interesting. Oh, your sweet disposition and my wide-eyed gaze. I'm not entering into the cheap 
a good discussion of whether that's really when she lose her, lost her virginity. But it's yeah. very interesting if you think about that song and that symbol hmm. in that way, because then it doesn't become petty anymore. That's like a major moment in men, any young person's life. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think oftentimes what's happening in the songs that that are the most kind of connected to a celebrity narrative, she's actually reaching through her her personal narrative, always trying to reach through it to these milestones in people's lives, and especially in the lives of the young women who are so um, devoted to her. If you are looking at the entire arc of Taylor Swift's career, from like Tim McGraw to now, Mm-hmm. And you had to make a one or two sentence thesis statement hmm. about that career. Hmm. What is it? Okay, I think I'm ready to do this, even though I didn't close notes it. <laughs> I didn't prepare. <laughs> All right, let's go. I think she took uh, the confessional songwriter tradition into a new era by paying attention to everything around her and engaging with things we wouldn't expect someone in her identity category, a white, young white woman to engage with, like hip hop, for example, like the way rappers uh, talk about themselves, you know, as well as those more conventional sources like Joni Mitchell and the internet, all of these things. She looked at how young people are forming their identities and forming their own truths. And she figured out a way to write songs that spoke to that. We can't make that also honored the lineage, the classic lineage of confessional singer-songwriting. And I think in doing that, I'm never going to call her avant-garde, but she's far more innovative than most people give her credit for. Yeah. You know? And I think she will go down as one of the greats, inarguably, but that's the reason. The reason is she is sharing a self that's very much of the 21st century, very much relevant to the fragmentation of the self, to the way ourselves are in dialogue with our personae, every one of us, you know, we're all in dialogue with our Instagram feeds. And she, without making a big pronouncement about doing that, she did it. She found a way to write the perfect pop song about being a, a human who's also a persona. And we're all yeah. doing that now. More with music critic Ann Powers after the break. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. When I think of like what early Taylor embodied and what she still does is like this idea of like the interior singer songwriter. Yeah. When I was a youth, the people who were like the singer songwriters just with the guitar, their whole shtick was, I retreat from the world exactly. for years. Yeah. And what Taylor does is she says, I'm going to be as confessional of a singer songwriter, but I'm going to have my eyes peeled the whole time. Exactly. She has become this surprisingly successful composite of megawatt pop star and bedroom singer songwriter yeah yeah had in like to do both as well as she's done for well over a decade that is a feat of business and marketing and strategy whether you like the songs or not yeah you know i totally agree i mean i've always thought that a better comparison in some ways um than Joni Mitchell is Carol King. Really? One of us is changing, or maybe we just stop trying. And it's too late, baby. Now. now, Carol King, who also came out of a, a kind of a song factory, you know, was a songwriter in the Brill Building, wrote yeah. incredible songs like Will You Love Me Tomorrow, the greatest hits of the, you know, co-wrote them with her then-partner Jerry Goffin, and then went on to make the album that uh, and you know, Joni, I still think Blue is number one, but that many people think is the ultimate singer-songwriter album, which is Tapestry, Carol King's oh, album, yeah. Tapestry, oh, yeah. which does exactly the same thing that you're describing, Sam. It it melds the essence of top 40 pop with, you know, these very profound disclosures about one woman's life, It very much connected with the exact place where you know, feminism was, where women's liberation was at the time, and yet it it is enduring and it appeals across generations. So far away, doesn't anybody stay in one place anymore? You know, Taylor's different in that she he read my or 1989 read you know you could argue that's sort of like her tapestry era but she doesn't really have one mega album like that but i do think she has that that gift for making pop music her own yeah and so that's where we're going with this we're saying she is a real living woman who is also the perfect product the perfect model um i don't know does that make her like an ai 
<laughs> oh my gosh, she's a cyborg. That's where we're ending up. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I talked with Gia Tolentino when her last book, Trick Mirror, came out, and she had this chapter about the cyborgification of popular culture. And I was mm-hmm. like, who is our biggest cyborg in popular culture? Like human, but better. She's like, oh, it's Beyonce. It's Beyonce. You know, I, I, in my book, Good Booty, I wrote about Brittany as a cyborg. Oh. Brittany's not in control of her narrative in the same way and wasn't, as we all know. But the way she was so perfectly suited to be manipulated by technology, her voice, you know, like that oh, yeah. was the voice for that. Baby, can't you see I'm calling A like you should wear a warning It's dangerous I'm falling Here's something Taylor might not, not admit to or might not like, but I'm going to say, I bet she listened a lot to those... I mean, there, there was a reason she wanted to work with Max Martin back in the day. I bet she was, like, aiming for something British. Yes. And, you know, I think that's something that maybe Taylor ultimately couldn't do. Maybe she just... And I don't think it's about her talent, but maybe she couldn't drain herself from the work uh, in the way that, in a, for whatever reason, positive or negative, that Brittany could. She couldn't become just a vessel for technology. She always had to reassert her personality. Yeah. And it's like when I think of like, and, and I'll take it back to Taylor in a bit, when, but when I think about the version of white woman that Britney Spears was performing at her peak, it was almost white woman at sacrifice. She gave her body and her voice yes. to the culture, to the zeitgeist. Oh, and she said, give me a hit, I'll sing it. Give me a video, I'll dance in it. I'm a vessel for you yes. to have fun. Yes. Like Britney Spears existed yep. just to allow us to have fun yep. through her body, through her visuals, through her music. And when Taylor would ever get that close to it, she would never give herself away enough to just become a vessel. That's so, oh my God, that's so profound and true. And I just remember one time years ago, I was working on an, a museum exhibit I was I was helping curate. And I went to the house where uh, Britney's costume designers had a bunch of her costumes, including like the toxic huh. costume. Oh, yeah. But, but they talked about how she had the perfect body. Like she had a body that was the ultimate body to design these clothes for. And when now we know how how hard she had to work to maintain that body, and it really is a tragic story. It's a tragic story that kind of like jumps, now we're going to completely far field, but jumps back to the Whitney story, this person who had like a perfect mm-hmm. voice and yet had to give herself her soul yeah. for that voice, you know? And, and Taylor never... I, I can't think of one moment in her career never where given herself she away. would be associated yeah. with sacrifice. Yeah, <laughs> There's this thing that Taylor says in her Miss Americana documentary that really stuck with me. You know, there's this thing people say about celebrities that they're frozen at the age they got famous. And that's kind of what happened to me. And when I first heard it, I said, yeah, we'll always see Taylor as the 15-year-old crimped-haired girl singing Tim McGraw. That's what we see her as. But then I thought, I don't see Beyonce as 17 and in Destiny's Child anymore. (laughs) I don't see Adele as being 18, you know, doing those first small, small songs and albums. Taylor, more than any other artist, has stayed almost crystallized when it comes to age in our imagination, even as she matures very clearly visually and artistically. What's up with that? Why is that? Because I think that that statement, you're always the same age you were when you first got famous, is the most applicable to her more than any other artist working today. I think about Kanye West. He is a different man than the college dropout. Oh, hell yeah. Different people, right? (laughs) 
But we still do this thing where Taylor is 15. Yeah. It's a Taylor thing, and I can't put my finger on it, so I want you to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have an answer for this, and, um, okay. and it goes into a sensitive place. So um, I-, I think about uh, uh, the great song by The Pretenders by Chrissy Hine, Middle of the Road, where she's, mm. there's a line in that song where she says, I'm not the one I used to be. I've got a kid. I'm 33. Taylor doesn't have a child. Taylor is not a mother. Huh. And um, in our... In our patriarchal society, when does a woman change? A woman changes when she becomes a mother. I think, like all the women you mentioned, they became mothers. And and I think that is maybe one of the main reasons why we don't accept Taylor as an adult, because Hmm. the childless woman remains... A, a strange figure in our society, an anomalous figure, and um, we don't know how to accept childless women as adults. Um, so, hey, I'm going to thank you, Taylor, for not having kids yet, because I, I think we really need more childless women out there uh, showing their path into, she's not middle-aged, but, you know, full adulthood. We need that. You know, it's funny, I asked you to give a thesis statement for Taylor, and you did so beautifully in this chat, and I've been thinking in this whole chat and all week, if I had to give a thesis statement about Taylor Swift, what would it be in advance of this new album, Midnights? And I think I'm there. And I think I just always go back to high school with Taylor Mm. because even as she's become an adult, she still writes about high school love and all of that. And that is like a very fertile ground for her. And when I think of Taylor as an artist and what she wants to accomplish, she wants to be a pop star who is the homecoming queen and also valedictorian. (laughs) She wants to be the pop star that is ubiquitously popular and the cool girl. But she also wants to get all A's and everything and get the award for like best student. Yes, totally. And she does, she has done that really well. But I wonder if with this album Midnight's or even the next phase of her career, she is turning into the former prom queen, mm. former valedictorian, coming back for the 10 or 15 year reunion oh my goodness. <laughs> with her shoulders down a bit and ready to tell you some stories. Yeah. And I wonder if that's what we're going to get from this next version mm. of Taylor. And I got to say, the version of Taylor that I, that I most want to hang out with is not the prom queen, not the valedictorian. It is the grown woman coming back for the reunion, yeah. smoking cigarettes in the back and talking <laughs> shit. That's what I want. So that is my thesis statement of Taylor, uh, if I had to give one. I am a little worried that her uh, her midnight confessions might be a little uh, a little mild. I don't right? know. You know, did I, I mean who knows? Who knows? But but she we know she's lived a little. We know that she's uh she's had some we know she's had some wild nights. Give us a wild night. I'll give you a cigarette. Right? I'll light it up for you. Put me in a lyric. I'll take it. Yeah. I can't help but think about her and everybody making music this year and compare them to what Beyonce is doing. Mm, of course. And I feel like Beyonce has gotten to a level of fame and power where she just does exactly what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And she made a brilliant dance album full of musical ideas and musical throwbacks kind of just for fun. I agree. And said, take it or leave it. No videos. Here it is. Yeah. And she just reached this level where she's so at the height of her powers, mm-hmm. she could spend as much money to make exactly what she wants. And even her just like hanging out in the band hall after school, having fun with her band, yeah. it's still brilliant. Yes. And I wonder what is the musical equivalent of that for someone like mm. Taylor. But will Taylor ever 
give herself up to the music enough to make her own renaissance. Mm-hmm. Renaissance feels like Beyonce saying, fuck everything else. It's just the fun music. Yes, that's very true. And I'm not sure if Taylor Swift will ever be that kind of pop star. That is a, you know, that is a good question. Can she do that? Because um, in a way for on Renaissance, it's, of course, Beyonce is still present, but she like gave the spotlight to others. She gave the center to others, to her historical reference points, to the queer community, to, you know, her yeah. collaborators and her, even the samples to Big Frida yeah. again, you know, which is so cool. And it's not that I think Taylor is afraid of giving away the spotlight exactly, but I don't think she experiences the spotlight in that same way. Again, the self herself her making of a self has been her that's her artistic project so how do you become selfless which is sort of what beyonce did on that record when the self is really everything for you and i don't mean that in an insulting way i think many great artists you know it's like she we could think of her as a self-portrait artist You know, like the that painter who paints themselves over mm-hmm. and over again. Yeah. Again, the Joni Mitchell. And what is in the frame if it's not Taylor? Who is in the frame if it's not Taylor? I don't know. Thanks again to music critic Ann Powers. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling... Culture Geist, about all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you, haunting me, haunting all of us, for better or worse. All right, this is Anusha, Managing Editor at Vulture. And this week, I've been absolutely haunted by the work of Colleen Hoover, a 
wildly popular romance author who was discovered by Book Talk during the pandemic. And she literally outsold the Bible this year. Um, her books typically feature a white cis hetero romance, and the protagonist is almost always working through some sort of major past trauma, having a lot of emotions and a lot of sex. Anyway, she has a new book out this week. It starts with us, which has already been on the Amazon bestseller list for 13 weeks and is certainly number one by the time you're hearing this. But I guess rather than explain why her work is haunting me, I'm just going to let it haunt you too. So don't say I didn't warn you, but without further ado, a dramatic line reading from Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover. Thank you for this baby, she says from the back seat. He's beautiful. I laugh. You're responsible for the beautiful part, Rachel. The only thing he got from me was his balls. She laughs. She laughs hard. Oh my God, I know, she says. They're so big. We both laugh at our son's big balls. Hi, my name is Lauren Passell of Podcast the Newsletter. I love everything you've done, Sam. Um, I'm, Sam, I'm so glad you asked about a pop culture moment that has been haunting us. Um, do you remember in 2021 when there's this 22-year-old named Mia Ponsetto and she accused this 14-year-old kid of stealing her phone and basically attacked him in the lobby of this like hotel in Manhattan? And then... She had the nerve to go on an interview with Gil King um, wearing a daddy hat. You seem to have attacked this teenager about the phone, and then it turned out he didn't even have your phone. Okay, so let's that's do, the thing. Do you I mean, you're, get to that? You're, Gail you're, is just trying to get Mia to hold herself accountable, and Mia is not having it. Uh, and the girl, she said enough to Gail. She said enough. To Gail King wearing a daddy hat. Old enough to know better. Oh, the hotel so I will did say have you're my 22. All right, Gail, I get it. Enough. The hotel enough, did have my stuff. phone. The hotel did end up having my phone. That image of her wearing that daddy hat. I I think about it. I think about it once a week. I I, I it made me understand that I don't understand people, and this is the moment that haunts me. Hi. Uh, this is Catherine Van Arendonk. I'm a critic at Vulture. And right now I cannot stop thinking about countertops. I am specifically thinking about countertops on television and what it means when some characters get obsessed about certain parts of their homes and what their countertops need to be. And specifically what I'm thinking about is the new Netflix show, The Watcher, which is uh, an adaptation of a New York Magazine story by our own Reeves Weedman. But in that show, the main character, played by Bobby Cannavale, buys a new house, which has Carrera marble, and he is just obsessed with ripping out the Carrera marble countertops because he can't make red sauce on it. Well, you see, I don't like Carrera marble. You know, I'm Italian. I like to cook. Carrera marble is Italian, you fucking moron. Yeah, well, you don't. You which can't make I then Googled, and yeah, I guess it does stain more easily, except then he puts in a butcher block island. And what stains more than wood? And what do these shows mean if they can't even get the details right about the countertops? And why won't people use quartz? Those are my thoughts. Thanks again to Catherine, Lauren, and Anusha. 
Listeners, do you have a culture geist? A thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years? Share it with us. The more specific you are, the better. Send us a short voice memo to intuit at vulture.com. Intuit at vulture.com. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Danae West, Travis Larchuk, Jelani Carter, and Gabby Grossman. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And Hannah Rosen is the editorial director of audio at New York Magazine. All right, listeners, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Till then, all my best to all the Swifties as you dive deep into Midnight's. All right, bye. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.